1: Trojan fans, welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Sunday, wrapping up the 2020 USC football season. we got the coach Harvey Hyde on the line, ready to talk about a lot of topics today. Got to wrap up a whole bunch of things and actually wrap up the entire USC Trojan football season because USC has opted out of a bowl game. So we're going to get to all of that, losing to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship Game And we're going to do that with the coach. You can follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde or go to his website, harveyhyde.com. Lots of questions we got today. If you have any questions you want to send in uh, for the offseason, podcast at uscfootball.com. That's the email address. Or you could call or text us at 424-254-9141. That's the voicemail number. We got a bunch of texts. We got a lot of voicemails, probably record number of voicemails uh, in the inbox. And what we're going to end up doing is answer some of them here on the show and then I'll probably do a follow-up episode that's really just a mailbag episode really just hearing from all of you because there was a lot of as you can understand angry uh emailers and callers and texters so I want to let you guys voice your opinions here on the podcast and we'll probably do a separate show just for that we're gonna have tunnel vision on Sunday night so we'll have some live options for you to get in and get your thoughts heard as well and Please, before uh, we get going, I just want to let you know, if you have an Apple podcasting app, if you can subscribe to the show, that really helps us out. Leave us a five-star rating, reviews, comments, feedback, suggestions, all of that put on there. We love it, and it does help grow the show. So please do that if you have an Apple podcasting app, and give us a little Christmas present here on the Peristyle Podcast. Um, man, Coach Harvey Hyde, we got you on the line now. What a crazy last 48 hours or so since USC lost to uh, Oregon Uh, in the Coliseum for the Pac-12 championship. A lot's happened, Uh, so I wanted to break it down with all of you. First of all, how are you doing today, sir?
2: I'm doing great. I'll tell you what, it's been a great college football weekend, all starting Friday in the Coliseum. Great ratings. Everybody should be really excited about the ratings. The Pac-12 should be excited about the ratings. Should they be excited about the performance of the teams? I'm not quite sure, But, Ryan, I'm sure we got a lot of callers. And, of course, I want to say hi to everybody out there and say happy holidays to you out there. The entire package, no matter what you want to do, you do it. But just be safe. So, Ryan, let's get started.
1: Yeah, let's get started. Um, I guess we can start off with the game first, Coach. And, uh, obviously, USC falls short. This was uh, a team in the Oregon Ducks that had come off two straight losses to Oregon State and California. Didn't get to play against Washington, but got into the Pac-12 championship game because Washington had too many COVID cases, couldn't uh, field a full team, and so they were the replacement from the Pac-12 North. So USC gets to host the second-place team from the Pac-12 North with a perfect 5-0 record. And uh, it was a 31-24 game, and to be honest, I don't know if it was that close all the time. USC seemed very lucky in the first half to be within a touchdown when they were Um, it's a talented Oregon team. It's the Oregon team that signed the best recruiting class in the PAC 12 again. And uh, that's someone that USC was trying to overtake. We uh, heard from uh, Gerard Martinez on the, the, our emergency podcast. If you guys heard that about the whole take back the West narrative that the coaches were trying to really take back the West. And uh, that, that fell short for sure. I mean, losing on the recruiting trail and then also losing on the field, two years in a row, on your home field, to the Oregon Ducks. This time, with the actual Pac-12 title on the line, if you win the game, you win the Pac-12 title. Has to be, I mean, disappointing, Coach. I mean, the fans are, are really upset, as you can tell. Um, but I wanted to get your you know, initial thoughts, and we'll kind of go into some details of the game. But your initial thoughts on the game.
2: Well, thank goodness they didn't have to play Oregon State, nor Cal. Believe me. Who knows what might have happened, because those teams both beat Oregon. So I'm glad they didn't have to play them or Notre Dame or Alabama uh, to me and then opt out of the game after the game because they didn't feel that, you know, they need to be with their families and so on to have the holiday celebration. Well, I'm not with my family and so on and to miss a bowl, bowl opportunity and uh, get more practice time in and come back and try to deem or be better football team and Built some pride back. They decided against that, too, by a committee vote of some type, trying to justify it. First of all, Ryan, let, let me say, this is always my opinion to all of our listeners that are out there, okay? You might be a parent or so on. So as a former football coach, when I talk about certain things, you know, I've coached great players. I've coached on every level. It hasn't been me. It's me putting my players in a position where they can be successful and utilizing their talent. When I had Randall Cunningham, I had to do certain things. When I had A.K. Woods, I had to do certain things. When I had Terrell Davis, I had to do certain things. And great receivers and everything else, defensive players. But those are names that you recognize. So I've said this for the entire year, and when it all started last year, when everybody got excited about the air raid attack, that's not the answer for USC and a Trojan football program. It's not. Now, it's great for a quarterback. It's actually great uh, for receivers because you get great stats and so on. But it's not for winning championships. It's not becoming uh, a tougher team. It's not uh, being uh, physical. It's not uh, being able to – people not even uh, being given a reason why you don't do certain things. It's just because we don't do it that way. Well, that doesn't make sense to me because you don't do it that way. You don't see any air raid teams that are in the championship uh, situations. You see that Ohio State with Justin Fields, which is a great quarterback, had to go to its running game. Uh, he ran, and uh, the rusher only decided to run for 328 yards. And Harris, a California prod- product, uh, now a third candidate off of Alabama's team as far as being able to run the football and and then Clemson uh, runs the football whoever is winning and playing in championship games Georgia name them uh, they run the football Lincoln Riley who was at Oklahoma and and uh, got to the big game but really never got that big win had decided now that and he's doing it running the football and I've been talking about it for two years I know a lot of people haven't bought into what I'm saying and a lot of people on the street say to me that don't know football coaching, they just keep running the same one play over and over in the running game. That's basically all they have. Now, it's not the same one play. It goes outside and it goes inside. But there's no bootleg. There's no action. There's no play-action pass. There's nothing with it because Keenan is not a runner. If you notice, all those teams I talked to you about have an athletic quarterback. Notre Dame, even Book, runs the football when he has to. They're not afraid to run Trevor Lawrence, uh, and he had a great day of 100 yards yesterday running the football. USC will not even continue a fake or allow him to run a bootleg or a zone read or anything. There is no complete series for the poor kid. The poor kid is like playing on a freeway. He'd be better off passing, trying to pass the football on a freeway, dodging cars, than the playoffs as far as when you have a defense that knows what you're going to do 52 times a a game, rush the football 28 times a game or whatever they did for 36 yards. It's absolutely embarrassing. One game, five yards and no one takes notice to it. I don't know who coach has to answer to. Is it Mike Bone? I don't know who it is, but maybe this is Mike Bone's program, because he's the one maybe that brought in Graham Harrell and the same thing on the defensive side of the football. You've got Great players playing hard now. Both both sides of the football are playing hard now. Don't get me wrong, PI, Keaton. Uh, you take these kids trying to step. You take these kids, they're trying to win. You London, I mean, he's a tough kid. Vaughn Jackson, these are all top players. And you take on the defensive side of the football, Hufunga. I think he's a first team All America. Uh, I mean, these type of kids play hard. But they're not in the right position sometimes, and it takes them a while to find these guys. Like 26, I don't want to say his name. You can pronounce it if you want. What a great game he's had. All of a sudden, they've discovered him when people get hurt. Or Drake Jackson, I keep talking about him. He's not even in the game. He's dropping back in passes instead of letting him do his thing and go after people. I mean, it's the same thing because you don't have a running game. You get in the red zone. You can't score. You miss a football. You miss a field goal. You get no, no scores every time they get into a scoring position. They get the touchdowns. So, you know, a short field, they outstat Oregon and all the different things that go on. But they beat themselves. They can't drop. They keep dropping passes when they can't drop passes. They had nine penalties for 98 yards. It's when you get the penalties. It's not the penalties. It's when you get the penalties. Some of them are what I call stupid penalties, over aggressive, not thinking because you're playing so hard, but this they beat themselves with penalties, wrong play, calling, the different things that really upset me as a football coach. And it really bothers me because it makes it tough on the offensive line because the defense is though you're going to throw the football. So they come after you every single time. They just come after you. And, uh, you know, the offensive linemen have to see every type of blitz and set there is. And, you know, you hear Nick Saban saying it after every game. It starts, starts up front with the big ones. It starts up front with the big ones. But at USC, it doesn't start up front with the big ones. It starts with the receivers and quarterbacks or whatever else. And I think they're great players. They're great kids and everything. But I think they're getting cheated.
1: Yeah, the the starting up with the big ones is a good point. Um we saw the big ones not do so well in this game, Coach. I mean, watching Keaton Slovis uh, really run for his life, seeing the team uh, have 28 runs for 38 yards. Now, there's three of those were sacks, but you know, not a lot of y- y- yards on the ground. You're an offensive line guy. You know what's going on. What did you see? Is it on the offensive line? Is it something else? What did you see from the from the big guys up front?
2: Well, it's not just their fault. It's the, the big guys up front that need help. They need to have some type of help as far as some type of series, running game, different type of of uh, things to help them as far as bootlegs, the whole blocks and get linebackers in there and, 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 you know, have good angles. They, they just don't practice it. They don't, they're not good at it. They're, they, they just work on pass all the time. And when you work on pass all the time, how do you get better on the running part of it? as far as blowing somebody off the line of scrimmage or getting in short yardage situations when you really don't work on it. Uh, You don't get under center. You don't do a quarterback sneak or you don't have a jumbo type of formation where you get the one yard or six inches like they uh, missed one during the game here. And, uh, you know, they're they're just, just things that when I sit there, I say same thing, same problem. And over two years, what's been changed? Nothing's been changed. On the defensive side of the football, there are th- still things there that irritate me. So uh, I just think that the kids the kids play so hard, yet they don't get the success that they should get from it. And uh, the linemen, good kids, uh, should all have red-shirted. Some have. Not really coming in as, you know, like Tucker. Tucker got himself... He probably went down a couple draft choices in that game, as far as trying to block, block the sophomore number five from Oak Christian. I mean, really, watch him whip him. I mean, it just it just it just shouldn't happen. Just shouldn't happen and it's happening and and uh, you know, London catches the ball eight times. He throws the ball in the middle of the field's wide open, okay, for passes. London caught one in there, a deep curl in the middle of the field. Do they throw it again? Do they try it again? No, I, I just don't understand it. Just, it just, uh, yeah, I don't know. You know, you can tell I'm very <laughs> flustered at it because it just—I've uh, coached on every level, and and I and I've been able to take personnel and put them in a place to win. And I hate to see a team get beat when they should win.
1: Yeah, um, it's uh, it's it's a tough one. It's a tough one, coach, to to digest knowing that this team was right there. Um, and had you know opportunities by the way while we're uh, talking about this um this is while we're recording usc the the college football playoff rankings came out and uh usc ends up number uh 17 in the uh the final rankings after losing to oregon oregon jumped up in the top 25 they're number 25 and uh colorado um dropped out so it's uh yeah this is <laughs> This is a weird, I mean, obviously it's a real weird college football season. Uh, Oregon's going to end up playing Iowa State in the Fiesta Bowl. So that's where USC likely would have been had they won. Uh, But going back to the game a little bit, I talked to Gerard about this, and I wanted to get your thoughts too.
2: Let Let me ask you really, really, really because we're on that topic before I talk to Gerard. Why isn't Oregon opting out? I mean, do you think uh, SC would have opt out if they had the Rose Bowl bid?
1: Well, okay. Well, I mean, let, We're going to get to what? that, Coach. We're going to get to the opt-out Oh, thing. man,
2: I, I, okay.
1: Yeah, we, that's going to be a separate topic for sure. Um, we'll, we'll talk about all of that. But the, as far as the game goes, um, you know, you look at the Ducks. What did they do on the day uh, as far as offense? I mean, their first six drives went three or four plays each. Now, they scored three touchdowns on those six drives. Uh, but I thought overall the defense played well. I mean, there was a bunch of short fields early after the interceptions. Uh, only what 243 yards total uh, for the Ducks. So you know, USC outgating them by 115 yards or something like that. Uh, but you know, I I didn't think it was a you know amazing day for the defense. But I thought they played well and they played well enough to win. I mean, if they weren't put in those weird spots. Uh, Oregon did some stuff. You know, they brought in Anthony Brown, who they, we hadn't seen before. He's the transfer from Boston College, and he threw for a couple of touchdowns. And um, he had a what? Well, he had like you know, he had a few runs, got gained a few. He had like a nine-yard gain. That was his big, big play. But that was a wrinkle that maybe USC hadn't seen. And I thought they did okay against him. Um, you know, Tyler Shook, eight of fifteen for ninety-one yards, the starting quarterback, two two touchdowns and one pick. I think overall, I thought the defense played well enough to win. This was mostly on the offense, but I wanted to get your thoughts.
2: No, I agree with you. They had a short field every time uh, when they went into the first two series, you know, where they were put in that position by the interception. So, yeah, and I thought the secondary played good, and and they played hard on the defensive side of the football. When I was basically talking about – the defensive side is making sure these guys, kids are in the right position and being able to, you know, uh, play the football that, that they're supposed to play and, and, and being with Drake Jackson not being, well, I think, a rush guy. And, and then again, Oregon didn't really utilize the run that they have. And and like I said all, all year, Oregon isn't the same football team they were. They're not that great a football team. So I think USC, and I said in the last week's podcast, USC should win. Uh, the PAC 12 championship and go on. All of us had a lot of optimism here. In fact, the PAC 12 was talking about them going to the playoffs. They were talking about Larry Scott as if we win with a PAC 12 champion, they should get in the playoffs, please come on now. Let's be serious about all this. So that's the way I was out. But the defense, I thought did a pretty good job as far as the position they were put in. And you're right. As far as the stats were concerned.
1: Yeah. Um, this was a weird one too. I talked to Gerard about this. I thought special teams were better all year. Man, this was like this was like a you know 2019 2018 special teams play, like one of the greatest special teams play you're gonna see. The onside kick, you know, that was almost like a pass uh, to Brew McCoy from Parker Lewis. But so many other bad ones, you know, roughing the punter, getting a punt blocked, missing a field goal. There was a and you know uh, penalties on returns. There was just so many special teams mistakes, coach. I was like, they had 10 men on the field for one of the punts. They had to call a timeout in the first half. It, it just so reminded me of the old special teams. I don't know what you thought about it.
2: I agree with you, and I call it undisciplined. When you have those type of uh, penalties, you're undisciplined. You, uh, you know, you've got to have your number of players on the field, and I'm sure it wasn't the coach's fault. It's just somebody absent-minded on the sideline that didn't pay attention to what he's supposed to be doing and what's going on. And on the Hufungo, uh, roughing the, the punter, that was not a smart play at all. He just wanted to be aggressive and hurt somebody and hit somebody. He's that type of football player. But that'll get you beat. He did that. And the missed field goal, he didn't miss it on purpose, but he missed it. And you got to be able to make kicks like that. And the blocking uh, situations, London even did a stupid thing, the way he hit that guy from the side and so on. I mean, these are stupid type of penalties stupid type of penalties that, you know, you're trying to try so, too hard or you're trying to uh, to be somebody who you're not. You don't act like a tough guy. Play like a tough guy. And uh, I obviously think uh, Hufunga can back it up. He can play like a tough guy. But you've got to be smart on what you're doing, too. And that does kill you. It's when you get these penalties. It's when you get a punt block. It's when you get these type of things happen that good things, good teams, this doesn't happen. And these kids keep beating themselves, and the coaches don't help
1: them. Um, when I was talking to Gerard about it, he would maybe not put the Hufunga thing on, okay, that you know, the roughing the punter, basically tackling the punter. Looking at that as a special teams play, it was just more of a – this is kind of the culture of the team overall. This is like a product of USC football, not a product of, well, this was a special teams thing. As a head coach, would you look at it that way? Like this is – I'm blaming Sean Snyder. I'm blaming the special teams coordinator. Or this is on this is I'm seeing this across the board. It just that penalty happened to happen on special teams, if you know what I mean.
2: It just happened to happen there. It happens all the time. It's non discipline. I mean, I don't see the discipline in the football team. I've gone through that with you as far as with uniform, dress in a uniform, the way they, uh, you know, appear on the field with sometimes their own. Uh, make up of the uniforms on what they want to wear, whether the way the team wants it to be worn, as far as their colors. Uh, I've talked to pro scouts about that, and I say, do you ever care about things like that? And they say, we make notes on all of that. We notice the same things you notice. Is a guy an individual? Is a guy a team player? And it makes a difference when we draft or evaluate a player. So a lot of these kids don't understand that, but it's the coach's responsibility to tell those kids, hey, guys, you're getting graded for everything you do on this football field and the way we appear on television and with our alumni and people that talk about us. Do we Are we all one or are we individuals in how we play? The discipline comes from the head coach, and the head coach is the one with the sledgehammer, whether it's an assistant coach that needs it or a player that needs it. So I think that that's where it all starts, and I like Clay Helton. But the discipline is not there when those things happen.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with you there, Coach. Um, Okay, so you mentioned this before, and we started to hear some rumblings. Even before the game, Coach, I had heard a few things that if USC doesn't win the game and go to the Fiesta Bowl, that they're probably going to opt out. Now, there was some circumstances, if you read the press release, that You know, they had some COVID positive cases that weren't reported before the game. So that was interesting. That was a new wrinkle. There was definitely some injuries in the game. Keaton Slovis, uh, you know, hurt his shoulder. Um, We saw Amon Ross Saint Brown have an injury as well. And there was was some growing concern over keeping the kids in quarantine uh, for another 10 days or whatever it would be. To travel, you know, two thousand miles or fifteen hundred miles to like the Alamo Bowl and in, uh, in San Antonio and play all that, and I guess they came to the conclusion, or they did come to the conclusion, that they would rather opt out of a bowl game. I don't think it's financially that big of a deal. Really, the big deal is the New Year Six Bowl for the Pac-12. Um, but you know, having six bowl teams versus you know what it's probably going to be two now is uh, is definitely interesting. But uh, yeah, the, so the decision was to opt out of the of the bowl. And uh, I just want to, I know you have some strong opinions on this. I want to get your thoughts and uh, I'll share some too.
2: I'm embarrassed about that. I really am. First of all, talking about opting out even before you, you play a game. What are you, what are you doing? Trying to play the game or are you trying to move on? You're trying to win a championship and you mean you would opt out of the Rose bowl. I mean, uh, if you're going to go to the Alamo bowl or whatever other bowl, if you're going to the Fiesta bowl, you got to practice and you got to be away from your family for the holidays. You're probably safer being away from the holidays, with your teammate being tested and so on, and being quarantined, than than being at home and spreading it to somebody else. So I don't, I don't, uh, I don't buy that, and I think it's embarrassing for a traditional team such as USC not to show up, and I think it. Uh, When you say there's injuries, what are you telling your other players? Uh, Well, we can't play. Matt Fink, we can't play without. You've been on our scholarship all these years and so on, but we're not going to go because we don't think you're good enough or say Brown can't play. So, uh, uh, McCoy or Bryant, you're not good enough to to go and and play in a bowl game. What are you telling your football team? Uh, You know, I think those are all excuses and wrong, and you've got to go to a bowl game. Look at the days of practice you're missing. Look at the experiences kids get to go and play another team from another conference. Look at all of the above. I mean, uh, it just uh, just like the Rose Bowl being moved to Arlington. I don't want to get into that. But how about, how about the cheating you're giving these kids is saying they couldn't play in America's number one college football stadium because the parents or whatever it is, they want more people in the stands to make more money. I mean, please, come on, guys. Uh, give the kids the games for the kids, supposedly. So, you know, opting out, I think that shows the nation when nine of your, whatever it is, nine or ten of your schools and your conference are opting out. Why are you even playing football? I mean, you started beat last before anybody else. You didn't have any scheduling as far as uh, the postponed games be made up. You didn't do any of that type of stuff. Uh, and now you're opting out. The whole conference almost is opting out. I mean, please. Well, I mean, I think that would be embarrassing. No wonder players are leaving the area and they're playing a national championship game and playoffs. Davis at Ohio state and Harris at, at, uh, Alabama and the quarterback from St. John Bosco at Clemson. I mean, my gosh, for national publicity and football and so on, this is a game that, you know, that, you know, there's going to be ups and downs and to play in a bowl game and getting a ring size and, and wear a ring and the memories. I mean, that's worth something for two more weeks. What are you talking about? I mean, uh, you gotta, you gotta be tough, and you, to and, and 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 the whole nation notices this stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, I get it. Like they, these players have had to go, go through a lot. They're certainly not. It's not been a super fun experience for them. They wouldn't be able to go slip out and see their families, um, so I, I see a lot of the reasons behind it. But I think there's some, I think there's some other reasons behind it too, Coach. And it's tough, and I think a lot of it starts with like what you talked about—the discipline of the team. It starts at the top with the culture of the program. I think USC would have gone to a New Year Six Bowl. They would have gone to the Fiesta Bowl, and I don't think it's more about distance where you're going to Phoenix versus going to San Antonio. I think it's more about the prestige of it. And do you want to go through you know, two more weeks of this protocol stuff uh, if you don't have to and, and just move on? And is some of it being afraid of playing a game and losing another game, especially if you couldn't have like a Keaton Slovis in there? But like you have a good point. Wouldn't that be a great opportunity for for Matt Fink and then some of the other players? If anyone anyone that's injured, an opportunity for the guys behind them um, obviously you want to do it safely, but, you know, they have another quarterback and that could be a shot. Is USC wanting to – I mean, there was a lot of bad publicity after this game, Coach, uh, losing to Oregon. Everyone, you can talk about winning all those close games during the season and being you're still 5-0. and You're like, we're 5-0, 1-0 this week, 1-0 this week. Well, when you lose a game, you can't say you're 1-0 this week. And it's sort of like all of those concerns that every USC fan had leading up to that game, now you played a better team and those concerns show themselves and then you lost. And so do you want to go through that again? What if USC would have gone to the Alamo Bowl and played like a Texas or something and and lose that game? And then there's just more pressure. Um, so I, I feel like there's some legit reasons that, that they would opt out, Coach, but I think there's some maybe you know more self-preservation reasons too. Um, you know, the, the fact that there were some COVID positive cases this last week that we didn't hear about a little bit concerning, um, they've been pretty upfront about all of that. So I don't know. It, it's one of those things where if you didn't have a head coach that was completely on the hot seat, that every fan, almost every fan just wants gone, maybe they don't opt out of this game. Do you know what I mean?
2: Well, yes. And, uh, maybe you'll get exposed. And maybe uh, someone there will see exactly the level of your football program and where it is. And what are you trying to do, hide it? I mean, uh, I've talked to alumni. They call me all the time. And what do you think, Coach? This is ridiculous, or this or that or so. on. And I've been behind Clay Helton the whole time. I like him as a person. I've never said I don't like him as a person. But is it the answer? Depends what type of level football program you want. Why don't you talk to some of the uh Trojan alumni football players, and see if they'd opt out of a game, any game. Those guys used to play hurt. Today, kids can't even play hurt. I mean, not that you want them to play hurt, but those guys wouldn't even tell the coaches something was wrong with them, but they wanted to play and be a part of the team and 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 go to bowl games and play. It was an honor. Uh, to be a football alum. Now there just seem to be excuses, too many excuses. Well, you know, we've got this, we got a quarantine, we went through this committee, they got about five or six committees where they went through to have to prove that they're going to opt out and all of all excuses. I mean, uh, if I was a head football coach there and maybe I'd get fired, which I'd been fired before, I'd say, hey, guys, we we fight all year for this opportunity and we have a chance to, you know, go out and play and that's if we're doing the right things to win. And right now, they're not doing the right things to win. I, I will tell you that. They might get exposed. But I'd want to play to get better and get my kids an opportunity of going to a bowl game. But again, you know, that's, that must be the state of the program, like you said, Ryan, where they are afraid to even play in a bowl game because they might get exposed. They're already exposed as far as coaching and people that know about football.
1: Yeah, and I'm, you know, to be fair, I, I I honestly think there's some real good reasons too, but I I'm tending to believe there's some concerning reasons as well, and it's been hard to get answers from people, and that's fine. I mean, they're they have to circle the wagons right now because there's a lot of pressure on this administration to make a move. I mean, almost every question we get wants to fire Clay Helton, you know, and uh, I wrote a column that I felt like this season was a failure. I don't know if you feel that way, coach. I mean, it's a five one season. You won the Pac-12 South, but to me, you're the most talented team. You avoided the hardest games on your schedule. You didn't have to play the toughest game from the North team from the North. You didn't have to play the toughest team from the South. You didn't lose any games because, you know, Keaton Slovis wasn't the quarterback. You didn't lose, you know, key players that were out like, uh, you know, Clemson had their quarterback out for a couple of games and had to play Notre Dame on the road and they overcame it, you know? Um, USC didn't have to do any of that. So to me, this was a win the Pac twelve or bust. And then when you look at the situation USC had that they didn't even have to play the the top team from the north, it should have been that much, you know, easier to win the Pac twelve to to win the Pac twelve, and they did not. So I felt the I thought the season was a failure. And that's what I wrote. I don't know if you had any thoughts on that, coach.
2: Well, you know, normally the the feeling is that USC or it used to be Our goal is to win the Pac-12 first and then go to the Rose Bowl. Obviously, this year they couldn't go to the Rose Bowl unless they were were in the college football playoffs. So that's not going to happen. Right now, I don't know what the philosophy is at USC or their philosophy as far as winning and losing, and it starts at the top. and starts with the Regents, Trustees, the President, and the Athletic Director. And I sometimes wonder who these players are playing for, these coaches are coaching for. Are they coaching and playing for Clay Helton, or are they playing and coaching for Mike Bone? I'm not quite sure who's running the football program. I I watched uh, Coach Helton during the game, and to me, I don't know, I watch him pretty close. It seems like he's basically not involved in the game whatsoever. Now, he may be a lot, but I don't see him in huddles. I don't see him talking to players. I don't see him putting his arm around Keaton And when he throws interceptions and talk to him. Uh, this is a lot of things you need to do as a head football coach, especially, you know, if your coordinator's in the box. Somebody's got to pull that team together and talk to that team as a group. And uh, I don't see that type of stuff. And I'm not saying that he doesn't do uh, it in the locker room and so on. But it seems to be always, I'm so proud of this guy and they play so hard. It's been an honor for me to coach at you. Yeah, we get all that. We get all that. We love the kids, too. I think it is a great and honor to coach at USC. Look at the people who have played and coached there. But let's get it done about the X and O's and, and all of that. I think that's what people want to hear about.
1: Yeah. Uh, before we get some questions, Coach, did you have any thoughts on the top four that uh, came out today? It's uh, you know Alabama is going to be playing uh, Notre Dame, and then you have uh, Clemson playing Ohio State. So it's uh, one verse four and two verse three.
2: Well, no, I wouldn't put Notre Dame in there. I think Notre Dame had their chance, uh, as far as uh, if they'd have played the game really close and it had been a great game, but they never were in the game. I mean, they got 44 yards rushing. I've got back to the same thing. They were out quick. Uh, they played a quarterback that was, uh, probably the Heisman Trophy winner, at least he should be. And, uh, uh, they were on a different level. Clemson just beat them. And, uh, I'm not quite sure if, uh, If uh, Texas A&M couldn't beat Notre Dame, if Florida couldn't beat Notre Dame, if Georgia couldn't beat Notre Dame, if Oklahoma couldn't beat Notre Dame, I think Notre Dame's a great football program, but I'm not quite sure that they could beat those people. Yeah, they beat North Carolina, but North Carolina isn't in the top ten. Maybe in the top ten or nine. I haven't seen the poll yet to know. So I I think they got them in there. uh, I don't know why. But I think Texas A&M probably should have been in there over them. You know, they lost to Alabama, the number one team in the country. They lost to Alabama, and that was uh, uh, the second game of the year, and they lost big. But Texas A&M has come back and won seven straight. Their strength of schedule in the Southeastern Conference wasn't that tough. They didn't play the best teams. But I think they deserved an opportunity because they didn't lose their last game. They beat Tennessee 34-13. to and Notre Dame got humiliated in their last game. So every time I've seen Notre Dame play in playoff situations, I don't know what the bookmakers think, but they're a 17-and-a-half-point underdog to Alabama, so they must think, too, that this is going to be a blowout.
1: Yeah. Well, we'll see. It should be interesting. Uh, Why don't we take a quick break, and we'll come back and uh, get to some of these questions. We've got a bunch, Coach, so we'll get to some of them.
0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: With Kizik Hans Free Shoes, Motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of Motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again.
3: There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've
1: ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. All right, we're back here on the Peristyle podcast. Uh, like I said before, so we're going to get to some of these questions. Uh, we'll do about four voicemails for Coach and a couple of the emails, and I'll try to do a full-on mailbag Q&A show. Uh, no, whole bar- no holds barred. I'll just go through them all and see how many we can get to. Uh, just so you can get your voices out there a lot of people have a lot of things to say and we want to give you that opportunity Um, but you know when we have our special guests on like coach Hyde, or, or our analysts on like coach Hyde, and when keely comes on we'll get to some of the questions but we want to talk about you know our thoughts too and then we'll do so i'll do like a full question and answer show uh this week all right so we just talked about the ball opt-outs and uh this is actually the second email we got from him but we'll i'll play this one for you because the first one was like two minutes long we couldn't play it yeah the the Two- and three-minute voicemails. Sorry, guys, we can't play those. But here's one for you, Coach, and get your thoughts.
4: Yes, Ryan, Coach Hyde, is Bobby. Yes, with the second message based on breaking news. Second message is, you know, it's just amazing to me. I'm laughing. You know, if USC would have won, they would have been beating their chest wanting to get in the college football playoff, number one. Number two is they would have settled and played in uh, uh, the Fiesta Bowl. But number three, at the Alamo Bowl is not to their liking. They come out with a statement saying we're opting out. You know, for a school that prides itself on a mantra, fight on, uh, two years in a row, USC football is really giving it to their fans. Oregon and last year, Iowa in the uh, Holiday Bowl. Tell you one thing, I've never seen such depths of depravity from my supposed beloved university. Well, it isn't so much anymore, that's for sure. Have a good holiday.
2: Well, I think he uh, more or less agrees with what we've been talking about, because I agree with what he's saying, too. You've heard me talk. It certainly has dropped to a different level as far as what people appreciate and what the program has been and where it is currently right now. And with that type of leadership as far as deciding that it wasn't worth it, Uh, For the kids, as they mentioned, they've been in such a terrible situation, which, hey, every team in the country has been through this, okay? It's not just USC, it's Alabama. I mean, Nick Saban had it. I mean, it's through, I think Dabo Sweeney had it. Uh, I mean, it's been through every conference of every school. Everybody's been in uh, quarantine, basically, saying. So to use that as an excuse, I, I don't buy it, okay? I don't buy it. I think it's just part of it. I think it's part of dedicating yourself to a, a goal and being able to complete that goal and play. And and like you say, Ryan, uh, there might be other reasons that they might become exposed and they're afraid they'll be beaten again and then get more pressure on the program. Well, that's what you need to do. If that's what You better find out where your program is. That might be a good indication, so maybe you'll find out and know where your program is. I mean, don't hide behind it. Find out what it is and go for it. That's if you want that type of program. And I think they have to make that type of decision on what type of football program they want at USC. Okay? They played the Rose Bowl 33 times, more than any other school that's ever played in the Rose Bowl. Now, all of a sudden, they can't even smell a rose. So, uh, I think they have to look at their program overall and decide what they want, not what we want, because they're the ones running it.
1: Yeah. We got our buddy Sergeant Rodney Strong in Fort Lewis, Washington. He said, well, this game was an eyesore to watch. Our players play so hard and are so talented, but man, the coach, the discipline, the game management, the penalties, the bad play calls. It's like everything that USC did against weaker, less talented teams and got away with it, caught up with them against a more talented team like Oregon. Could not agree with Sergeant Strong more there. He said, what can be improved or worked on from here to make USC a national title team again? Because it seems like USC plays terrible against teams that are equally talented as them and plays good against less talented teams. Uh, Is it the players, the coaching, the leadership? Why is USC so bad against quality teams? Thanks for all you do, gang, and fight on from Sergeant Strong.
2: Sergeant, I think it's a combination of everything. You know, uh, to go to battle like you've been in the uh, service, you know what I mean? You have an Air Force, you have an Army, you have a Coast Guard, you have the Navy, you have it all. and You've got to have it all to go to battle and win. And I think right now all they have is an Air Force or whatever it is. Uh, They don't believe in the Army. They don't believe in the Marines. I mean, they don't believe in uh, street fighting or whatever it takes. Uh, And I'm not talking about uh, penalties. I'm talking about in the trenches where you get down there and you get your nose bloodied or you butt somebody in the face and you play great football. And that's what's won in the trenches. And you get that one yard that you need or you make that big play that you need or you have a complete offense or defense. You know, that's like going to war without any shells or ammunition. And you've got to be able to put them, you have a, 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 a plan, a plan how you can win. If we need the Air Force, we got the Air Force. If we need the Army and the Marines, we've got them. At USC, they don't have a plan. They just have one phase of what it takes to win championships or win battles. And right now, their philosophy is they're going to throw the football no matter what. And they're going to not increase their running game because that's not what they believe in. And we've talked about it for two years. There's been no change whatsoever. In fact, there's less now than ever as far as seeing any type of series or bootlegs or jet sweeps or counters or any of that. Less than ever. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, they got to look at what they're doing and what their battle plan is.
1: So just a little breaking news, Coach, um, that Colorado is going to play in the Alamo Bowl against Texas. So it looks like if USC didn't opt out, you've got a rematch with Texas. That would have been an interesting one.
2: That would have been. And congratulations to Colorado. They didn't have a chance to play in the championship game, but Carl Durrell and his program and his Warriors are going to go take them on no matter what happens, and I want to congratulate them because they're willing to do that. And, uh, and I will, I'll be watching that football game and seeing what happens. So it'll be a tough one. Texas is a good football team, very physical football team. But, again, Colorado will I'd represent the Pac-12 as they'll go there to play. They want to play, and I think that's what's great. They want to play. They want to play football. That's what they go to school for along with their education.
1: Let's go to another voicemail, Coach.
3: Hey, this is Dan from Covina calling uh, to make my annual coaching assessment. As you know what, I'm probably going to say. Uh, the truth is the USC did not protect the quarterback when he needed to pass, did not run the ball when needed the run. It's very simple. Uh, unless USC finally starts putting up the studs they used to to win the trenches, they're no longer going to be the Pac-12 perennial uh, champs or be a contender Uh the fact is that they're every year the recruiting, uh, they're not getting the, that kind of high level talent. And it's pretty simple that we're going to have the same kind of season year in and year out. You got to win the trenches. Everything is won and lost in there and USC has not been a power and it's really disappointing. And I don't see a change happening anytime soon. It's time to change. We need a new dealer. We need to get a new deal and these happen now.
1: What do you think? Hard to argue.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, uh, ditto. We've said all those things, you know, it. it uh, you, you know exactly what we're talking about and he sees it and we see it and uh, you've got to be able to be balanced and do the things you need to do and uh, to be a champion and uh, you just can't do it one way on either side of the football. You've got to do it with uh, everything. It's like playing without a prevent or playing without a a uh, certain two-minute game, or goal-line defense, or two-minute drill, or anything—you've got to have everything. And currently, right now, USC does not emphasize certain areas of the football game that that are very uh, very part of the game, and they don't believe in it. And I don't see why, as a head football coach, you can't go to your coordinator and say, "Hey, we're going to do this type of stuff." or whatever the deal is, or on defense, you say we're going to do this with Drake Jackson or whatever we want to do as a head football coach, this is my football program, and those guys work for me. Now, I'm not quite sure if Clay's that type of guy, but he better be because he's taking all the heat for it. So uh, I would say, Clay, uh, you better make your mind up on if you're going to be a head football coach and be in charge of your staff and your football team or is someone else
1: doing it. Yeah. Let's go to an email we got from uh, Terry and Hemet. He says, "Fire Hilton and Harold, uh, Ryan and Coach Hyde." I attended my first USC game on September twenty fourth, nineteen sixty, when TCU beat us seven to six. So you could call me a longtime fan. This team might show uh, being five and one, but in reality, they were two and four without the three miracle finishes. How could a two and four team not shake up things by firing the head coach and offensive coordinator? Helton is 13-13 in 13 13 the last 26 games. Uh, coach Hyde has been correct uh, every week about every aspect of the Trojans' issues. We need a coach who thinks like Coach Hyde, someone tough who can get away from the shotgun and put a quarterback under center at least some of the time. And he has five points here. He says, one, Helton was outcoached again in his clock management. Just plain sucks. Uh, Harrell's offense was, is, unimaginable, predictable, and offensive to our loyal fans, three worst running game in the Pac-12. Four stupid penalties again, 100 yards. Five, which brain surgeon had Jackson covering a tight end? His name was called one time all night. And finally, uh, after the game, Helton himself said why he should be fired. "Quote: We're judged on championships here." Then he threw out his usual excuse. "Quote: Fact is, we're really close." Well, I don't want to wait any longer. Fire him now, Terry and Hemet. All right, not uh, and words there.
2: Well, you know. Um We aren't the ones that make that decision. Uh, We can talk about it. I'm not advocating firing him. I'm advocating uh, allow him, if he knows and has the knowledge of football, to know what his problems are. And uh, his problems, if he doesn't recognize what his problems are, then maybe you do need to make a change. But it's so obvious on what the problems are, as far as with the offense being the type of offense it is and what they're performing and the way they perform. I said two years ago this wasn't going to be successful. This isn't going to work at USC. The fans didn't like it from the beginning. I mean, USC used to say, we like to just uh, run at them and do the things like play action pass until they pull the white flag out and just hope we get out of town safe and sound. Well, that's not the way it is now. So, you know, again, they've been playing them the same way the whole time because they know he's not going to change. They play zone. They play pass. So it's shutting down his offense. Poor Ken, uh, Keaton can't find any receivers, so he starts scrambling around. He has to make great plays. He starts forcing the football, but it, he has so much pressure on him to to to, that, to win or to get it done. He doesn't have any help. It all goes on him. That sometimes he makes mistakes. And again, uh, you know, like he did early in the game, he made some mistakes. He tried to throw, throw the throwing the coverages and so on instead of throwing it out of bounds like that final play that the guy made the great interception on. I mean, you know, I guess the ball did slip out of his hand. I know he wouldn't throw the ball there, throw it away over the stands or wherever you have to do. But you see, again, uh, that's putting him in a position We had the pressure and and couldn't get it done. So, you know, he, the kids pulled out three games this year on his own. Even admittedly, uh, the last touchdown that Brown caught against UCLA, they never throw that route in that set or whatever they were talking about formation so the kids pulling it off and getting it done but he can only do so much okay can only do so much and he's done as much as he can and I'm disappointed he got hurt I hope he's okay and so on at the end of the game I know Matt Fink ran over there as fast as he could that he was the first one over there before the trainers or anybody knew that he was hurt and uh that's the way they care about it. And Matt Fick's a great kid, and I'm sorry he didn't get an opportunity to play in a bowl game if Kendrick can't play.
1: All right. Uh Here's another voicemail for you, Coach.
5: Hi. This question is for Coach, Ryan, or anybody with any sense. Why? Why can't USC ever get a quarterback that can run? So the question is, the second question, is why run the read option when you don't have a quarterback that will never, ever, ever, ever run? It makes no sense, and you have to be a stupid coach to keep doing this. Fourth and one, and you're handing the ball off that slow motion shotgun, and here comes the defensive end just crashing down because they know he's going to hand the ball off. If he just keeps it once, if there's first downs and USC wins two or three games, last year even, just keep it once. Get a first down. Scare somebody. It's insane. Fight on. Uh, Al from uh, Pennsylvania. The frustration continues.
2: Well, Al, uh, you know, you hear me talking about this, too. You don't run the one-back offense without having an athletic quarterback, and they try to do that. At Alabama, Jones doesn't run the football too much, but he can run the football if necessary. But their their running game is so powerful that, that it makes up for it because they emphasize the run with Harris and so on, and he got over 200 yards yesterday, that that makes up a bit of the difference between him running as much as Trevor Lawrence. Now, Trevor Lawrence, you watch Trevor Lawrence, he got over 100 yards yesterday as far as running the football. He's their number one starter. They are not; uh, they don't want to lose him. But again, uh, to make the offense and stretch the field, if you listen to uh, Brian Kelly after the game or this morning, he says, hey, that kid stretches the field. He makes you cover the entire field. Well, USC doesn't make you cover the entire field as far as the running game is concerned. They don't do any runs to the outside. They have maybe two runs off tackle and, and uh, maybe a sweep, they call it, off, off tackle, and the run outside a tackle, and the back picks the hole, and the other one is right up the middle type of play. So that's all they have. And if the quarterback even was to continue with his fake and hold somebody out there, you'd be able to see that it's there. But he doesn't even step or go out there. doesn't even go out there to hold a safety or hold a defensive end or a linebacker or any of that type of stuff. So I just don't quite understand what the philosophy is, and you're exactly right. Uh, if you're going to run a one-back offense, you've got to have an athletic quarterback that runs the ball. Now, this kid coming in Dart from uh, Washington, or Utah is a great athlete and can run the ball. Will they let him do that? They, I better hope so because if they don't do that and they continue with the same offense, uh, it's going to be the same story.
1: Yeah, I think Miller-Moss can uh, run a little bit too, but they just – not, that's not really been their thing to let their quarterbacks uh, run like that. So we'll see. Uh, but great, great, great voicemail there. Uh, we got Joan. Okay. So Joan, just to be fair, Joan called in and uh, left a three minute voicemail that got cut off and then left a couple more uh, just to let her know. I mean, she felt bad because there were long voicemails, but she wanted to write in. So Joan, no worries. We know you're frustrated. She was very frustrated. She said, Hey, Ryan and Coach Hyde. Well, that was special. In the presser, Clay Hilton said he had 100 hurt souls that he needed to console in the locker room. Well, Mike Boone should fire him so he can go to his calling, consoling souls, because he sure isn't a football coach. And he can take Graham Harrell with him. That offense is terrible. Interceptions, hurried throws, no one open, and 38 yards on the ground. Oh my God! And Oregon was three and two and wasn't very good. We made them look like a playoff team. USC's athletic department raised over 750 million. During the fundraising campaign, that's three quarters of a billion dollars. Use some of it to buy out Clay Helton's contract and the others and go hire him and go hire an elite coach. Boulevard Productions isn't going to make a championship program, even if you get recruits because of the five stars all end up in the portal or ruined. Fire Clay Helton, President Fulton, Mike Bone. You have no choice and no respect. Helton is a joke. He's this close to a championship, he said, and he couldn't be more delusional. Send him packing so he can get some therapy and go console some souls somewhere else because he sure can't coach football. Thanks, your friend, Joan. Whoa. Bring in the heat, Joan. Joan, bring in the heat.
2: Joan's bringing the heat. And, you know, let me just use this as an example. Uh... Joan, JT Daniels left USC last year, and I wasn't in favor of that. If you know, I was very, I felt bad about that, and I did I wasn't for it at all. I felt once you start a program, you stay and finish that program, and your opportunity can be there at any moment again, like he lost his starting position in the first game, but he went to Georgia, and he had to get uh, eligible or get not only eligible or pass physically. And since that's happened, I would change my mind and say, I think he made the right move. He went to a program, plays defensive, uh, great defensive football, plays in a great conference. They run the football really well. He throws the ball 16 times a game, maybe 20 times a game. And right now, they might be one of the best teams in the country. Why? They're balanced. They can do it all. He's not getting sacked, and he's he can play in this type of system. That's the same type of system that Alabama's running as far as with with Jones and so on. So, Uh, Now I commend him. I mean, I I hate to say this, but he's fit in down there, and he's in a good situation for himself, and he buttered himself. I mean, uh, instead of running around and getting sacked again. I've said this from the beginning of the season. I said it last year. Your quarterback, if he lasts the season, you're lucky under the current situation that they're playing under because they know where he is, and they're going to go after him. And they know that the weakness of your team, possibly the softest part of your offensive line, so they're going to challenge them, try to confuse them, and that's what teams do.
1: Yeah. Let's go to – got one last voicemail, then we might do one more email after that. Here you go, Coach.
0: Hey, guys. It's uh, Don from Chicago. Um, after the Oregon game, the most humiliating, embarrassing loss that I've ever seen in 40 years of watching USC football. I don't want to recount it, but it essentially encapsulates the Clay Helton air. Helton has to be fired. And in fact, if he had a shred of dignity, he would resign himself. This is just too much to bear. Unbelievable talent on our side, not prepared to play, the same old garbage. Penalties, mistakes, horrible play calling, no discipline, missed tackles. It just goes on and on. And then Clay Hilton saying after the game, That, oh, our, our, you know, we want to win the Pac-12 championship and we're close. Are you kidding me? He needs to be fired immediately. Ryan and coach, please comment about this. Is there a shred of chance that he will be fired now after this season? Or are we going to have to tolerate a whole nother year of this Jamoke leading our precious team? Don from Chicago. Thanks again. Bye.
2: Well, I think personally you're going to have to put up with another year <laughs> because I don't think that uh, Mike Bone is in that uh, mood. He's protecting the team. It's not sending them to a bowl game because they'll get, you know, like I said earlier, uh, people will be uh, exposed to uh, what the program really is. Against Texas, wow. i tell you, if they were playing there, it would be a, a very physical type of football game, and who knows what might happen. Now, if you're doing that – and then you're you're obviously going to hire him. Now, when you look at other universities around the country, you look at Oregon. They give their their coach, who was uh, being uh, uh, maybe uh, you know interviewed or wanted to interview him for uh, the Auburn job and other jobs, they give him a twenty-seven million dollar extension because he's one of the top recruiters in the country, won the Rose Bowl last year, and and doing a great job up there, and really much liked uh, by his players and staff and so on in the community. And they're not afraid to get money. Now, USC is probably the, one of the richest traditional schools there is. And I know that uh, it's a lot of money, but it would be something like fourteen seven, I think, to buy out Clay. And, and you can't feel sorry for Clay. He's had his opportunity. I love him as a person, but getting fourteen seven on top of what else he's getting, uh, he's had a pretty good run at USC. And uh, But again, I don't know if USC is in a position... To bring in somebody, which it's going to cost them another twenty million to bring in somebody, another staff to pay and pay off the old staff at least. That would take the job under the current situations that they don't want it to be the same type of program. They want it to be where you bring in a head football coach like Matt Campbell or Urban Meyer or somebody that can really coach and let him run the program, not answering. Say, well, you got to keep this guy, you got to keep this guy because he's somebody's cousin and he's this side and this side. The head coaches say, I'm not taking the job. Don't put me in that position. You got to give the guy the opportunity. If there's 26 people on the staff or 30 people on the staff, they all work for me. Uh, when I went to UNLV as the head football coach, I mean, everybody on the staff resigned. Everybody resigned. They didn't keep a lot of them, but everybody reapplied. So, if I did, if they did come back, they knew they were working for me. They weren't working under the old conditions. They are working for me because I'm the one that hired them back. So you've got to have this type of loyalty. and you've got to give that type of power to the head football coach where he can decide who he's working with and who he answers to. The ball is wise and everything else, and let him coach the football team. You put it in there, don't break the rules and regulations. Otherwise, go for it. And a guy's got to have that type of feeling and understand that the University wants to play in the college football players, want a playoff, wants to. Right now it indicates to me they don't want to even play in a bowl game. So I'm not quite sure exactly what their philosophy is, but before you could get a new headed football coach, you better have one and you better decide how you recruit one like this because yeah, you're not going to get one with the current situation on what their attitude is. Yeah.
1: We'll do one last voicemail for you, Coach. This was We talk about special teams a little bit, but Gary had a question uh, the title game was terrible. Uh, but until Keaton Slovis threw that horrible interception, it looked like another 2020 come from behind fourth quarter win. My questions are about special teams. Have you ever seen a better onside kick than Parker Lewis kicked to Brew McCoy? And why did we suddenly decide to run back all the kicks on Friday after wisely taking most of them on the 25 this season? I know Gary Bryant uh, saved us uh, at the end of the UCLA game. Fight on. Gary, class of 75. I think USC's returned a lot of kicks this year. Not... Taking a lot of knees but like I don't know what what are your thoughts on that coach
2: well you know you have to it depends on where you are in the game and what the situation is and the field position you need and and all of the above you know you needed a big play against UCLA to get back in the game but you didn't have a lot of time so actually yeah I'm sure he was told by Snyder if you can run it out Get it out because maybe you'll break it. And he was fortunate and he did. There's some situations and time depending on the game and so on where you're fair to catch it, but you don't want any mistakes, take any chances, and uh, you'll take the ball in the 25-yard line. So you've got to be able to, to you know, know where you are in the game and what you're supposed to do. Uh, I'm sure they communicated on that before it happened, and I can't uh, remember exactly what time of the game that was or what the score was at that time or whatever, but uh, I'm sure that it's uh, planned and determined before you go on the field exactly what your plan is as far as running a back or fair catching it, depending where the ball is.
1: Yeah, that was, I mean, there's better ones than that there. I mean, do you remember the Brian Cushing one where he caught it and ran it for a touchdown? Like those are cool, but as far as like no drama whatsoever, it was just kicked right to Brew McCoy, and he it was like a pass. Like, that was that was pretty special to see. I mean, you don't see that kind of stuff all that often. That was a pretty good one.
2: Now, we're talking about the onside kick uh, yesterday.
1: The onside kick from uh, Friday night, yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, Friday night, excuse me. Oh, yeah, They're absolutely perfect. And uh, uh, good, great field position. Everything was good. Good call. I thought it was going to happen. And uh, they could get the ball, they had a good shot at it, and then they came out of it with nothing. No points whatsoever. Now, that's the type of thing that changes momentum in a football game when you're really excited and then you come up with nothing. See, those are the type of things that make a difference in a game.
1: No, that was a big deal. Like, getting that onside kick was a big deal. Not scoring on it was more of a big deal, I think. You know, like, that was special. But I, I do remember them returning most of the kicks this year, unless they were, you know, super deep. In the end zone, Uh, you know, I talked to Sean Snyder about this before, I think leading into the season. And he does like giving, you know, there's opportunities to try to make a big play. And they had done that in years past, but they just so many times, coach, they would get tackled before the 20. I just felt like, well, just just get it to 25 and give this offense a chance. So but I, I don't know. Do you remember? I think they've ran ran back a lot of the kicks this year.
2: Yeah, I think they have. Uh, I think that's uh, their philosophy. He had that same type of philosophy at Kansas State because he had some great return guys there. And uh, you've got to be lucky, and guys have got to make their block, and you've got to hit the seam full speed. And if you hit the seam full speed, then everybody's going one way and you're going the other way. So it's, uh, the kick's got to be uh, one where you uh, can get it on the run and hit the seam and uh, hope you get the, the blocks, the crucial blocks, and away you go. So, you know, it's just, uh, it just, we used to run them all back. If you remember before they put that rule in, you ran them all back unless they kicked it out of the end zone. So, you know, uh, and we used to feel that at that time, if we got back to the 20 or 25, we were in good shape. So now uh, I guess uh, it's a different type of philosophy. I'm not quite sure what
1: they're doing. Yeah. All right, coach. Well, good stuff, man. A lot to get to. So yeah, we went over an hour on this one um still a lot of questions so we'll uh i'm going to do in a little travel this week go and see in, uh, uh my parents back on the east coast so i gotta hunker down did, did my covid test and uh waiting the results of that and get on a plane but i will we will try to do a couple more shows for sure we're going to do a tunnel vision show uh live on sunday night if you're listening to this on sunday but i'll do more podcasts where we're going to try to get to all of your questions i don't want to uh leave anyone out because there's a lot of good stuff there and we'll, we'll try to get to all of those. So, but coach, we hope you have a very wonderful holiday. Have a great Christmas. And it's been another fun year uh, covering USC football with you, but thanks again for coming on.
2: Well, thank you very much, Ryan. You travel safely out there. And for all of you out there, happy holidays. to All of you out there, the entire package and uh, you travel safely or bunker down, bunker down at home. And uh, like I'm going to be doing and, and uh watch some college football and it's a shame that we aren't able to watch the
1: Trojans play. Yeah, it is a shame. All right, well, that's going to wrap things up for this show. That's Coach Harvey Hyde, I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Perstow podcast and we will talk to you next time.
2: The Rose Bowl Legacy Foundation preserves, protects and enhances the future of the Rose Bowl Stadium as a national historic landmark. America Stadium has hosted two Olympic games with a third one coming in 2028. Two World Cup Finals, five Super Bowls, and the granddaddy of them all, the Rose Bowl, since 1923. It is the epic center of college football and is the most iconic stadium in the world. To learn more about how you can support the Rose Bowl Stadium as it turns 100 years young, visit www.inspire2022.org.